Thank you very much, Asanda Matsanya, and it's uh, seven minutes past 12 right here on uh, Midday Live on uh, SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Welcome to your Monday edition uh, of the show, and of course, it's good to have you along with us. Uh, we are monitoring the magistrates' go slow action across the country today. The Judicial Officers Association of South Africa, JUASA, says industrial action is really the only option left in their long-ranging dispute of uh, remuneration. But let me tell you also that uh, the regional magistrate presiding over the Andres Tatane murder trial in Fixburg, Eastern Free State, has told a packed courtroom that the ghost law by magistrates is an insult to the society and disgrace to judiciary. Hein van Niekerk says he took an oath many years ago that he will put the interests of the public ahead of his personal aspirations, which is why he is not on a ghost law. He says it is important for his colleagues to be on the bench to defend the country's justice system. The Tatane's trial has been delayed due to late arrival of the court clerk and interpreter. So we'll be looking at that story very shortly right here on Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Big story today, a big newspaper billboard. This uh, today reads, Game Over for the ANC Youth League. Uh, it's been uh, widely reported that uh, the ANC NEC has disbanded the Youth League's NEC. We also hear of uh, the PEC in Limpopo also on a knife edge there. The ANC is hosting its uh, media briefing to tell the nation about it, its uh, weekend NEC resolutions. We'll bring you up to speed with that. And, uh, of course, what's your view on this one? 34701. Uh, was the writing always on the wall? Uh, what's the future of uh, Ronald Lamula now and his team? Can we see Pule Mabe coming back? You remember he was uh, removed by Julius Malema as uh, the league's treasurer general. You remember Sanda Makaka as well, the suspended secretary of uh, the Youth League. He should be finishing his suspension roundabout now. Is he coming back? Those are the questions now that uh, we put to uh, our correspondent uh, who is uh, attending to this matter. Ndebo Kobo is the presidential reporter there and our political reporter. Good afternoon to you, Ndebo. Good afternoon, Bongi, and good afternoon to the listeners. What can you tell us right now? Really, uh, it's, a, it's a watershed moment now for, for the ANC. We hear of uh, the ANC Youth League. We hear of uh, the Limpopo PEC. Well, indeed, uh, Bongi, as we speak, the Secretary General of the ANC, Mr. Fereman Trust, has just uh, arrived here at the foyer where the press conference is going to be taking place. He's accompanied by uh, members of the communications unit of the ANC, Jackson Jambu, Keith Koza, and Ishmael Munisi, and uh, it's just about to start. He'll be briefing the media, indeed. All right, so we, we can't speculate, but uh, really it's been widely reported that uh, those two are gone. Well, it has been widely reported, uh, Bongi, that uh, the, uh, the National Executive Committee of the Youth League has been disbanded. Yes, indeed, we are expecting that confirmation from the Secretary General. Indeed, yesterday we managed to get some confirmation from some of the provincial secretaries, as well as uh, some people in Limpopo on the ground who thought that indeed the national, the PEC of the uh, ANC in Limpopo has been disbanded. All right, uh, other issues really uh, would be the issues of uh, the free state, uh, the issues uh, uh, coming out of uh, the northwest as well. Those uh, we, we expect the, the Secretary General to touch on. All right, uh, our reporter, the political reporter, that's Ndebo Mokobo dropping that line. So we, we, we hope to get more, uh, of course, as the, the briefing progresses. But uh, let's welcome on the line right now uh, Ralph Mateka. He's an independent analyst. Good afternoon to you, Ralph. Ralph is not on the line, so we'll try and get Ralph shortly. But let me tell you that uh, the ANC Youth League in Guazul Natal has expressed shock at the reported decision by the mother body to disband the league's National Executive Committee. The decision is expected to be officially announced at a media conference. Uh, well, that's today indeed taking place right now as we speak. The league in Guazul Natal has been led by a provincial task team after the provincial executive committee was disbanded by the national body under Julius Malema's leadership. That was uh, 2011. So we'll be going back uh, to that story and talk to Ralph Mateka and uh, get a sense of what he makes of uh, the developments there at the ANC. It's uh, 11 and a half minutes past 12. 
Our top story this hour, a proposal to raise South Africa's legal drinking age from 18 to 21 is under serious consideration together with a zero alcohol limit for all motorists. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,604.40 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,580.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9.20 against the US dollar at 13.90 to the pound and 11.90 to the euro. If you are the one with hope for tomorrow, with an appetite for change, with passion for your country, join us in our drive to transform our society and nation, the new age, for a new perspective, for a positive outlook, for a united South Africa. The new age, one country, one paper. Get your copy for only three rand fifty. Anderson, come in. You know why you're here? To get a promotion for all that cost-cutting I've been doing. Wipe that smug look off your face. Theft, racketeering, fraud. What? These won't look good on our company profile or your CV. Sir. You've put my life's work and 500 jobs on the line. You make me sick. Cuff him. The bottom line is electricity theft is bad for business. Report electricity theft anonymously by sending an SMS to 32211. SMSs cost one rand. Operation Kanisa. The power is in your hands. Hi, I'm Dalen Kirti. I'm a Shake the World Ambassador, which means that I support the eight millennium development goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green bees adorn my wrist because I support goal two, achieving primary education. Goal number three, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And goal seven, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? Shake, shake. This is SAFM. Well, unfortunately, we have to leave that ANC story for now. Uh, we are trying to talk to uh, independent political analyst Ralph Matecha. He's got to go inside the briefing so that he comes back and informs us with uh, informed uh, analysis, so to speak. So we'll go back to him and also see if we can't get an official uh, position there from the ANC itself about that matter. In the meantime, let's go to Kenya now, where Kenya's defeated presidential contender, Raila Odinga, has filed a legal challenge to his election loss in a major test of the country's democratic system five years after a disputed vote triggered deadly tribal clashes there. Police used tear gas to break up a rally of hundreds of Odinga supporters outside the Supreme Court in Nairobi. Odinga refuses to accept last week's slim first-round election win by Uhuru Kenyatta. Let's talk to our correspondent in Kenya, Sarah Kimani. Good afternoon to you. All right, we can't get hold of uh, Sarah Kimani there, so we'll try and uh, go back uh, to that one as well to get a sense of uh, what is going on in Kenya. Well, today marks the start of National Water Week. Did you know about that? Indeed, the theme this year is uh, Water is Life, Respect It, Conserve It, Enjoy It. The Water First Department says the theme seeks to emphasize the role of water as central to all forms of life. Yeah, so that's uh, uh, what is happening uh, today. And uh, a proposal to raise South Africa's legal drinking age from 18 to 21 is under serious consideration together with a zero alcohol limit for all motorists. So uh, what do you make of that? You can SMS us on uh, 34701. Um, drinking age raised from 18 to 21, is it a good thing? I see a health minister here, Aaron Motsoledi, saying that plans to reduce the use of alcohol in the country are at an advanced stage. Do you welcome this? All right, so you need to, to tell us as well about that. It's at 34701. That's the number to dial right here on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Are you up to date with the world of property? For all things property matters, what are your rights as a property owner and or purchaser? Are you a tenant or the landlord and you need advice? What is the value of your investment in commercial property in South Africa? What matters are of importance in discussing land ownership? Trust us to simplify and help you understand the detail in all things property matters. Join me, Deneo Mulomo, every week on Tuesday morning on Morning Talk at 10.30. Listen up. 
Shop Shop Children's Program on SAFM with Leon Fisser, starting the 11th of March at 10 minutes to 2 weekday. And it is Shop Shop, it's Shop Shop. It's 17 minutes past 12. We'll try and go to Zimbabwe as Zimbabwe High Court has ordered police to release with immediate effect a prominent human rights lawyer arrested yesterday during a series of raids on Movement for Democratic Change officers. So we'll try and get that story. But also we'll try and go to Kenya. As you heard that uh, Raila Odinga there has filed a legal challenge to his election loss in a major test of the country's democratic system five years after a disputed vote that triggered deadly tribal clashes there. We're really struggling with the lines, uh, so we'll try and see what can be done there. In the meantime, the Ophthalmological Society of South Africa has elected its first black president during its 43rd annual congress, which took place in Cape Town over the weekend. Khao Lichodi, who was inaugurated during a farewell dinner at the Cape Town Convention Center, will be OSA, or OSSA, president for the next two years. Deputy President Khalima Mutlante was among the dignitaries who welcomed Lichodi, as Mr. Dispersant reports. During his opening remarks, Deputy President Mutlante, a former patient of Dr. Lechodi, told delegates and guests that many people take eyesight for granted until their eyes deteriorate due to age, disease or injury. With this in mind, our government appreciates the increasing role and the good work performed by OSA in our country. I stand here today speaking to you without reading glasses because a few years ago Dr. Lehodi removed cataracts which had compelled me to use reading glasses. And when my colleagues in the cabinet asked me how good he is, I said to them, well, you know, my eyesight is so improved that I can see right in your hearts now. Uh. Mutlante also took the opportunity to welcome Kaule Khodi as the first black president of OSA. Let me at once thank and congratulate OSA for the historic election of Dr. Kaule Khodi as their president. I know that as we know him on his part, he has always been inspirational to many in our nation, and I hope that his uh, outstanding achievements will motivate many more to emulate his good example. And as in all professions, we hope that a much younger generation, that someday he will be able to hand over the chain. In his debut speech as incoming president for the next two years, Dr. Lehodi said OSA is facing a challenge of transforming Africa in ensuring basic affordable eye care to those who cannot afford. The role of OSA has become all the more important today, attuned to the modern imperatives of transforming Africa in increasing integrated world. As such, OSA is more than ever assist with the question of provisioning access to basic eye care in manner that is affordable, professional, steeped in the highest ethical standard. Being a skill profession, building relations and coordinating eye health care provision with governments will be of paramount importance to the future of eye care in the developing world. On a lighter note, Lehodi described the difference between the two terms, finished and complete, when he was thanking his family for their support and for his career achievements. Some people say there's no difference between complete and finished. I beg to differ because there is difference. When you marry a right woman, you are complete. And when you marry a wrong one, you are finished. And when the right one catches you with the wrong one, you are completely finished. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my wife, Sekole Odi, and my son, they are here. i like them to stand just to know them. <laughs> the Congress concluded yesterday morning. Mercedes Basend, SABC News, Cape Town.
22 minutes past 12 right here on Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's hope that this line is going to hold. We're going to Zimbabwe now to talk to SABC's senior political reporter, Matlatsa Kalens. A Zimbabwe High Court has ordered police to release with immediate effect a prominent human rights lawyer arrested yesterday during a series of raids on movement for democratic change offices. Beatrice Mtetwa and four others are allegedly being held on charges of obstructing the court of justice after Mtetwa demanded police produce a search warrant during one of the raids. Meanwhile, regional body SADC has declared Zimbabwe's referendum over the weekend credible. Zimbabweans went to the polls on Saturday to vote yes or no on a draft constitution aimed at entrenching democracy, personal rights and limits presidential terms to just two. From on this now, let's say good afternoon to Matlatse Gallens. Has uh, Beatrice Mtetwa been released, Matlatse? Good afternoon, Bongi. As we speak, she has not been released, and this is hours after the High Court ordered that she must be released. We've been speaking to several people that are following up on what exactly is happening, and the reports that they're getting is that she's actually being moved from one police station uh, to another, something that is quite worrying, especially for human rights lawyers here in the country. So as we're speaking, nothing has, and she has not been released. But also we have learned that uh, Prime Minister Morgan Chwangarai is currently holding emergency marathon meetings with various people, top officials in government. We are told that he has already met with the acting press President George Majuru because President Robert Mugabe is currently out of the country. So he is quite concerned about this issue and these meetings trying to understand what happened. Why was uh, Ms. Mtetwa uh, uh, arrested? What police are saying is that she has been arrested for obstructing the course of justice. What we've learned in terms of piecing together the story is that police yesterday raided the private office of Prime Minister Morgan Chwangarai, uh, in particular uh, the communications team, uh, the one that was raided. We understand that they also raided one of his advisors' homes. And at the time, people are saying that the police said that they were looking for what they're calling communications, communications device the police haven't confirmed it. And um, uh, Beatrice Mutetra, the lawyer, was then called to the house to try and understand what was happening, and we understand that when she was arrested uh, and the charges that she was obstructing justice. You talk of a marathon meeting between the Joyce Mujuru, uh, that's uh, the, the ZANU-PF deputy president there, and the MDC leader, Mark and Tsangurai. Why? Are they trying to put out fires? Are they trying to uh, deal with the situation that has a potential to put a dent on the credibility of uh, the weekend polls. You know, the timing of these arrests definitely came as a surprise because if you look at Saturday in terms of voting and how it went, it was quite largely peaceful. It was just a day after this on Sunday that the arrests came about. Already the NBC had raised concerns because there were some of their members who were arrested on Saturday of the arrest. And what police are trying to say is that the referendum and these arrests are not linked and they have defended them saying that they are doing their job. But Prime Minister Morgan Trump I should be concerned because this is his private office that was raided and it is not clear if he knows why exactly police took this step or if he was informed at all about uh, these raids and then the arrest of these officials. The the West has said if uh, the, the polls over the weekend are declared credible, they will remove sanctions. So where does this now leave uh, that, uh, you know, with, with the arrest of uh, Beatrice Mteto? You know, uh, the European Union had said that they will take that decision on lifting uh, the travel bans and also the arms embargo by at least the end of this week. And I'm sure they will be watching developments quite uh, closely in terms of what would happen now. But I think also, as you said, it does put a dent on the referendum, but also a worrying factor. Some of the analysts we've kind of spoken to have said that, you know, the critical test for Zimbabwe is the month leading to elections which we're expecting later this year because uh, one of the things that they've raised is that in terms of the contestation, because as you remember, Prime Minister Morgan Chwangarai and President uh, Robert Mugabe uh, backed this constitution in years of negotiations between them. So it was the no vote was 
campaign was basically coming from civil society, and there was no real contestation. But uh, in terms of what has happened in Zimbabwe in the past, the next few months are going to be the most crucial ones uh, to see if the atmosphere allows uh, for um, political campaigns to happen freely, and if any of the arrests that we've seen uh, in previous pre-election periods actually do happen. This is quite worrying for many of those looking at the situation. And uh, post the, the, the polls, uh, uh, Masatsi, how is the mood, how is the situation on the ground today? You know, uh, people are waiting for the results, but not anxiously because I think it's a, uh, people have decided that it, it, it's widely expected that the yes vote will win. We've been trying to speak to the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission about when exactly will those results be released. By late last night, they were saying that uh, council, of course, had been completed at all of the polling stations, and what we're now doing is telling results moving from district level to constituency levels, and by Last night, they were already at provincial level. So we're not even sure how they will be releasing those results, whether they will be giving them to us as they custom or whether they will just wait for an official um, um, final result and then give it to the public. Uh, and that is the decision that has to be made by the uh, electoral officer who's in charge of results. But in terms of the laws of the country, they have five days, and that is what they keep reminding reporters, that they have five days to actually release the results. And as the thing stands, they are still within that time period. Thank you very much uh, to our senior political reporter, Masata Gallens. Well, again, the line has let us down. We were scheduled to talk to the Movement for Democratic Change spokesperson, Douglas Monzora, there. Unfortunately, we can't get through to him. Outraged farmers in the Fenterstop area in the northwest are calling for unity among all the farmers in the area to curb farm killings. This after a farmer was murdered and his wife severely assaulted on their firm out, uh, f- farm that is outside Fenterstop. Police say two men confronted the 67-year-old farmer outside his house on the farm in Nestekstrom. They then attacked his 64-year-old wife and allegedly raped her. Itumelin Khajani reports. It is alleged that the two suspects surprised the 67-year-old farmer outside the couple's house and assaulted him with a hard object on the head and dragged him into the house. While inside the house, the suspects saw the victim's wife and they assaulted her too. Police suspect that the woman was allegedly raped in the process and they await a medical report to corroborate that. Provincial Police Spokesperson Brigadier Tulani Ngubani. At this stage we are busy with the investigation. We are then also going to pursue the charge of rape as soon as the doctor's uh, medical reports come to confirm. I can then say that with the experience that we have at the South African Police Service on cases like this, I can assure you that our team of detectives is currently working around the clock. We have have a history of solving cases like this and we are going to ensure that the perpetrators are brought to book. It is in this vicinity where the leader of the right-wing party Africa Nervier Stams Beviering, AWB Eugene Terreblanche, was slain in his farm in 2010 by his employee. The killing also comes five days after two farmer tech accused of Lesopa Township at Otostal were found guilty by the Northwest High Court for killing Andre Leon van der Merve and pulling his body with a buggy and dumped it at a milli field. The incident took place in 2011. Now the farmers are angry, accusing lack of tight security at their farms. Gerald Kallis explains. As the farmers, we've had enough of these farm killings. We keep on talking, but nothing gets done. It's not only government that needs to do something. We too as farmers have to do something. I think we need to unite and take this thing serious. It's the third farmer in a space of a few kilometers who gets killed. We provide food for the whole nation, but we still get killed. The suspects are still at large, and the victims' identities can only be released once they are next of kin have been informed. The 64-year-old wife of the poached farmer was sent to the Flagstop Hospital for medical attention. Itumidan Kajani, SABC News, Fentestop. 12.30 and it's time for the news headlines. We say good afternoon to Asanda Metzonian. Thank you very much, Asanda. Let's uh, say good afternoon to Nancy Richards. What's coming up on your Monday edition of Otherwise? Okay, Bongi. Well, a little bit business-like to start with on the show today. Femaleness in the workplace. What does that really mean? Well, we're going to be talking to a man who's looked into both its meaning and its usefulness. In similar vein, we'll be getting some feedback on a research survey on the workplace as it suits a working mum or doesn't suit a working mum. 
And lastly, a journalist, writer, author talks about her conversion to Islam. So that's what we've got lined up. Join us if you can, and it's coming up right after the news here on SAFM at 1 o'clock. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Nancy. It's uh, 27 minutes to 1. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'll be reading your SMSs. And, of course, uh, the uh, top story this hour is that of uh, the ANC, uh, NEC report back meeting, so to speak, or rather a briefing. Uh, the ANC is briefing the media on the outcome of uh, their weekend NEC. Another top story that has just come in as uh, we welcome on the line the presidency spokesperson, Mac Maharaj. President Jacob Zuma has received six more letters of resignation from members of uh, the South African Broadcasting Corporation, that's the SABC board. These are Mr. Lumkom Timde, uh, Mr. John Danana, Mr. Cedric Gina, Mr. Desmond Golding, and uh, Advocate Tawe Mathati, as well as uh, Ms. Nolutando Gosa. Let's uh, say good afternoon to you, Mr. Maharaj. Good afternoon to you and your listeners. This comes from the President, this statement that I'm reading right now. Talk us through it. Why? Yes, I can confirm that the President received the six letters of resignation. He's accepted their resignation and thanked them for their contribution during the tenure. Last week also, as you will recall, the President received a letter of resignation from the Chairperson, Dr. Ben Ngubane, and his deputy, Mr. Kami Kaplachi. He has since accepted their resignations. So the President, in the meantime, has uh, requested the Minister of Communications, Ms. Dina Pule, to liaise with the National Assembly regarding the process to fill the vacancies left by the resigned members. Mm. So, Mr. Maharaj, what does this mean? Does it mean that there is no board now at the SABC? There is currently no board because there is no quorum. There is no chairperson and there is no deputy chairperson. And without a chair or a deputy chair, there is no quorum. And uh, what is the president going to do in the meantime? Because uh, the, 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 there seems to be a vacuum right now in leadership at the SABC insofar as the board is concerned. We have to act within the law and the requirements of the constitution and the legislation. And that, that matter is being looked at. But in the meantime, the more important thing is that the process of filling in the vacancies has commenced by getting the minister to liaise with the National Assembly. Mm. Any other issues will be dependent on the legal advice received. The six, did they issue a joint resignation statement or did you receive individual resignation letters from them? It was individual letters of resignation. Did they give reasons? Well, they have indicated, but those uh, we have not disclosed. Uh, it is enough for us, uh, the President, in considering the matter, is taking into account their, what they have said in their letters and as well as the circumstances surrounding the board currently, accepted their resignations, thanked them for it, and is proceeding to fill in the post. Mm. This matter seems very urgent, Mr. Maharaj. I know you're saying that uh, government and the president needs to act within the law, but how long can we wait for at least an interim board to be, uh, to be put in place? I'm not aware that there is a provision for an interim board. All appointments have to go through the parliamentary process as part of our democratic requirements. And therefore there is no provision for an arbitrary appointment of a board. But, but surely there needs to be some sort of a management at, at the board level whilst uh, you're still searching for other board members to fill those positions. That's what I'm asking. There is, uh, there is a management, there is a CEO and a management team who are guided by the existing provisions and strategy that the board had acquired adopted prior to its uh, the resignation of these members. Mm. That will be guiding the management. But I want to emphasize that we, if the president cannot act outside the law, any action taken outside the law will be ruled by the courts null and void and will be a waste of time of resources and money. Mm. But, uh, Mr. Maharaj, this, this has been a long time coming. I mean, it was uh, when, when uh, the... the, the the chair and the deputy resigned, surely you should have, as the president, of course, uh, raised the alarm and, and, and sensed that something was not right at the SABC, at least at the board level. That is clear, but there is no action that could be taken beyond accepting or refusing the resignations. There is no way that the president can micromanage and intervene in the management. The minister has been interacting with chairperson and the deputy chairperson and she's presumably been interacting with the board mm. within the scope of her powers but it has come to this pass and we have to now move forward 
and ensure that we bring stability and proper uh, management and, uh, and a functioning board. But that, this, this doesn't paint the, the minister in charge in, in a good light. I mean, she should be micromanaging the, the, the SABC at least, uh, uh, Ms. No, the minister must never, let me make it very clear, the minister must never micromanage a board. Mm. Never. But the she's board the, has its function defined with the law, and she has to operate within that law. She cannot intervene arbitrarily, with okay. the, even with the board. We got you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mac Maharaj. He speaks on behalf of the presidency. It's uh, 23 minutes to one. There you have it. Six uh, SABC board members have resigned, so currently there is no board at the SABC. Let's uh, talk the magistrates issue right now. Magistrates affiliated to the Judicial Officers Association of South Africa, JOASA, say they are postponing all cases before them in protest over a pay dispute. The Chief Justice of uh, South Africa has again urged magistrates not to embark on their intended strike action over wages due to begin today. Chief uh, Justice uh, Mokweng Mokweng says such action would jeopardize the welfare of uh, the people whom they are obliged to uh, rather by the constitution to serve. Let's talk now to the SABC's reporter Valdi Karase. Good afternoon to you and thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Bongi. Where Good are you? Sure. Where are you right now and what's happening where you are? Well, I'm about to leave the Protea Magistrates Court, Bongi. I spent most of the morning there from about 9 a.m. Um, and what's happening at the moment is that the magistrates are just postponing the cases that are before them. Uh, to several attorneys who said their cases were postponed this morning. No reasons were given, but they attributed this to the strike. There is three or four courts here at Protea Magistrates Court functioning, and those courts are presided over by contract magistrates, and they're not on strike. Mm. So, so, but uh, how, how severe is the disturbance there, and how much of a nuisance is it? Look, the disruption can't be felt that greatly today, simply because today um, many prosecutors have an office day at Protea Magistrates Court on a Monday, so they're in their offices. And as you know, a court can't proceed without a prosecutor as well. So um, the magistrate's saying that the effect of the strike won't be felt quite as greatly today, but definitely tomorrow. Um, you can sense the level of frustration among the attorneys already, though, uh, those who did pitch up at court this morning. Uh, there aren't long queues. People aren't waiting. As I said, there are some of the courts that are functioning. Uh, but I did manage to speak to two magistrates who said to me they're tired of feeling like the second-class citizens of the judiciary. They're tired of being treated as though they don't have the same qualifications as judges. They say simple access to something like stationery, transportation, things that that should be um, a given uh, for them to be able to do their jobs aren't there. One complained of her printer not working for about two years. And these are little things that have built up, and you can, you can sense their level of frustration. Mm. And, uh, of course, besides those little things, the, the, the other issue really is the, is, is the wage issue. Do we know how much they want and uh, what's the percentage in terms of uh, the rise in their, in their salaries are they demanding? Well, this is this is determined by Joanne, of course, Bongi, and um, the magistrates will go um, will go with, with whatever Joanne determines. But what they're looking for, um, the magistrates, I suppose, is they're looking for a fair wage, um, a wage that will re- remunerate the, the amount of work they do. One of the magistrates saying that he has three murder trials in front of him at the moment, and he's juggling these three in between his other sexual offences cases, his armed robbery cases, and he's saying where the judge in the High Court will sit on on one murder trial for a whole week and be able to just give the attention to that murder trial. So they're saying this is an issue they've raised for years. It isn't something, it isn't a decision to strike that they've come to lightly, but they're really at the point now where they need to do something this year um, in order for them to be remunerated for the work that they do. Mm. I'm reading one of your tweets here. You're saying that uh, uh, at Protea Magistrate Court, as their matters are postponed, one magistrate shrugs, says, I'm on strike. But can we see this intensify tomorrow and uh, right through the week? Most definitely, most definitely. That magistrate in question, the one you just read, 
read about. Um, he actually repeated that several times. He says, I'm on strike. So I'm saying to him, so what does that mean for a magistrate to be on strike? He says to me, I'll be spending the week in my office. I'll be busy um, cutting papers around. He's got a novel on his desk. I actually went into, he's got a novel on his desk. He's like, I'll be, I'll be catching up on some of my reading. Um, he says he's on strike for all intents and purposes until Friday, until they get a new a director from Joasa, um, the body that governs um, judicial officers, of course, the Judicial Officers Association of South Africa. Until they get a mandate from them, this magistrate says he's on strike. He declined to be named um, for obvious purposes. Magistrates aren't allowed to, to talk to the media, but he felt it was important that people do realize um, that they are really the the first uh, contact with the judiciary that people interface with. Um, for a lot of people, the lower courts are, are, are the only courts they'll interact with the judiciary for, and they're just saying they should be rewarded for their professionalism. We thank you very much. Valdi Karase is the SABC's reporter there. And let me tell you that the regional magistrate presiding over the Andres Tatane murder trial in Fitzburg, Eastern Free State, told a PEC courtroom that the ghost law by magistrates is an assault, or rather insult, to the society and a disgrace to judiciary. Hein van Nikek says that he took an oath many years ago that he will put the interests of the public ahead of his personal aspirations, which is why he is not on a ghost law. He says it is important for his colleagues to be on the bench to defend the country's justice system. The Tatane's trial has been delayed due to the late arrival of uh, the court clerk and interpreter there. So we're hoping to update that story as well. We're struggling to get through to that. It's uh, 17 minutes to one right now. Let's go to the dealing room and say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. No, Sudhir is not on the line yet, so we'll try and get through to him. But let me read uh, a couple of SMSs here. Good riddance, I guess. This one talks about uh, the ANC Youth League. As we heard, the ANC NEC decided over the weekend to uh, disband the NEC of the ANC Youth League. So uh, that is uh, the the, um, the uh, SMS coming through there on uh, 34701. Another one coming from Giani Masingita there saying that wonderful job, well done, NEC. Comrades in Limpopo, don't fight over who must lead the ANC until formal conference. That's Masingita there. There are a few other SMSs that I'll be reading shortly. But uh, Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities, how are the markets looking at the start of a new week? Well, Bangi, global markets uh, have lost steam this morning as uh, Europe braces itself for renewed turmoil over an unprecedented levy on bank deposits in Cyprus. Periphery markets in Europe are particularly weaker amid fears of contagion. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks risk a hard drop this week as the Federal Reserve meets and may hint that stimulus measures will be tapered sooner than expected. Just taking a look at the U.S. stock futures this morning, it is pointing to a weaker start in the U.S. late this afternoon. Locally, in the absence of any uh, local market-moving data, the JSE has followed global markets lower this morning, with the exception of uh, the gold miners, which is trading higher on its safe haven status. Taking a look at the local indices, we've got the gold index, which is up almost 1%. Resource 10 index is down 1%. The industrial 25 index is down almost half a percent. The financial index is down 0.3%. And overall, the market is down around 217 points, or 0.5%, to 40,528. And uh, which stocks on the move today? On the upside, we have Grinrod, which is up just over 2% at 19 rands. Goldfields is up at just over 1.5% at 75 rands and 60 cents. Discovery is up just over 1% at 77 rands and 20 cents. Mr. Price is up 0.7% at 116 rands and 80 cents. And on the downside, we have Clicks, which is down just over 2.5% at 59 rands and 20 cents. Able is down 1.3% at 30 rands and 10 cents. Barlow World is down just over 1% at 90 rands and 10 cents. And lastly, we have Fushini, which is down uh, 0.7% at 110 rands and 20 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators, Sudhir? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,604.40 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,580.50 an ounce. Brent crude is $108.60 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 9 rand 20 cents to the dollar. 13 rand 90 cents to the pound and 11 rand 90 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much uh, to Sudhir Singh there of uh, Sasfin Securities.
The international markets were running scared this morning as uh, the investors reacted to the separate response to conditions set on an economic bailout offer. The European Union and the International Monetary Fund have approved a multi-billion euro bailout for Cyprus, uh, provided citizens cough up a set, uh, rather a set percentage of their own bank deposits. And uh, of course, Dimakas uh, Elishoro uh, filed this report for us. The fifth member of the Eurozone nations is in an untenable situation. It is cash-strapped and it needs an international bailout, but the demand being placed on citizens' own savings has not gone down well. The island's president, Nikos Anastiadis. The worst result of an unruly bankruptcy would have been a forced exit from the euro. A result that would have followed would have led to a significant devaluation of our currency and our national wealth. The country's leaders are at pains trying to find ways to soften the blow for smaller depositors ahead of the parliamentary vote later today. It is widely expected that parliament will vote yes to the controversial move. But this may not be a given since no party has an absolute majority and some have said that they will not back the tax. Cyprus applied for a 17 billion euro bailout but has been offered only 10 billion and that with stringent conditions which have deviated from previous aid packages. The EU wants the island us to give up about 10% on bank deposits of 100,000 euros or more and six and three quarters on deposits of less than 100,000 euros. It is expected that this levy will help raise close to 6 billion euros. Bailout principles up to now have stated that people's savings were sacrosanct, but the recession seems to have forced a change. Bridget Taylor is head of floor sales at NetBank Capital. This is uncharted territory for the Eurozone because you know, previously deposits have always been protected during the crisis. The general sentiment that's been put out there is that things are becoming worse rather than becoming better. Cyprus's bailout is essential to recapitalize the financial sector in the country, which is eight times larger than the size of the economy. Brian Cantor, a chief strategist at Investec Wealth Management, says this is the lesser of the two evils. You put money in a bank, a bank can go broke. They could lose it all. I think that's the danger, that if they don't accept this package, and they don't accept the terms demanded by Europe, the banks actually go bankrupt and the depositors will lose more. Unfortunately, they caught between quite a rock and a hard place as if they don't protect the banking sector and it goes bankrupt anyway, those funds will potentially be lost. The concern for the market is the contagion effect. This has unnerved depositors in the region's weaker economies and investors are fearing a precedent that could reignite market turmoil. Nedbank Capital's Bridget Taylor again. The euro initially gave back quite a lot. It Currently trading at 29.35, 1.2935, but it did trade as low as 128.80. We also saw the Asian stock exchanges this morning in the negative, quite substantially in the Nikkei, and this morning our own stock exchanges opened up quite negatively. Taylor says this also brings to the fore the safety of people's monies in financial institutions. This latest decision does draw into question how much it's being protected and what the risk attached to putting your money in a bank actually is and whether you're prepared to deal with the ramifications. From a South African perspective, I think we're still relatively well managed. We're certainly relatively uh, well capitalized, and it seems unlikely that we'll see a similar scenario. For SABC News in Johannesburg, I'm Dimakato Lishoro. Let's uh, go back to our top story, the ANC-NEC uh, briefing uh, meeting this uh, morning. And, uh, of course, uh, it's currently underway. In fact, it hasn't even started. So let's talk to an independent political analyst, Raf Matecha. Good afternoon to you, Raf. The ANC is expected to make clear its intentions about its youth league executive. It's widely expected that an interim structure will be appointed. Just broadly, what do you make of all this? Well, you know, I wasn't expecting any change within the youth league or a drastic step about the ANC youth league because I thought the dust has almost settled down since uh, Mangaung conference. So. I don't think there will be any kind of gains that are worth, uh, 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 you know, getting out of such kind of a decision, given the fact that the party, the state of the party now is not the most coherent as we speak, and there, is, uh, there are some divisions that I thought uh, much work will be put towards sealing those divisions instead of taking a decision such as this, which could really cause problems within the party. Mm. But this will be a major blow to the, those who are still uh, uh, holding the NEC positions in the ANC Youth League. I mean, they were beginning to toe the line right now, hoping that uh, they will be saved. 
That is exactly the problem because, you know, uh, the, the last the reports that have been coming since Mangawun is that the, the youth league has been reined in, literally. They were beginning to draw the line. We have seen statements in the past few weeks to the effect that the, the state of anarchy within the youth league has ended. But now the decision has been made, so they have been seen that those who are holding positions within the NEC are now going to be seen as sellouts because they, they had agreed to tone down on the... The, the position of the youth league, or maybe the youth league will proceed. But now the radical decision has been made, so they are out now. And I think this is a decision that I think will be quite costly when it comes to coherence and unity within the party. And within the, the league itself, because the party is going for elections next year, these are some of the problems that could really... Uh, have a dent on their coherence when they campaign for elections. Mm. Very interesting there. But uh, let, let's move on and talk about uh, Castle Matale, Limpopo, a premier there, and of course, chairperson. The NEC didn't spare him as the leader as well there. Certainly. The question of Limpopo was quite, uh, it's quite complicated, although my uh, idea on that is uh, the justification that will be brought. Uh, as a justification for disbanding the PEC, because the most important thing is for the NEC of the ANC to make sure that uh, this decision is not being seen as purging or is not being seen as a kind of uh, a, a revenge against those who stood on the opposite side of the other the camp that is won in Mangaum. So it, it matters a lot as to what is the justification, and I think that the only acceptable decision uh, justification would be that the PEC is in a state where it can no longer uh, uh, tenure its function, it can no longer operate properly because it has got no authority or legitimacy within the regions of uh, Indian If that can be established by the NEC as justification, that will to some extent spare this decision from the, you know, the sentiment of being seen as a, a pledge against okay. the political uh, force in this, in this Ralph, we're going to have to leave it at that. Thank you very much. That's Ralph Matecha. He's an independent uh, political analyst on the ANC Matters Day. Time now for Create with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. Peter Turin's Monte Cassino Theatre is currently hosting Don't Dress for Dinner by Durban's Kickstart Theatre Company. Written by the French playwright Marc Camoletti in the 1980s and translated and adapted in English by Robin Horden, Don't Dress for Dinner is a comedy farce about double adultery, mistaken identity and gourmet cooking. Stephen Steed is the director of the production and the executive director of Kickstart. Kickstart has a very wide repertoire of material. We do musicals like Cabaret. We have did a very serious cutting-edge dramas like Red and Wit. But we've never done a farce. And farce is an extremely challenging theatre form. I mean, it's really difficult to get right. If you get it right, it's screamingly funny, but it can also fall on its face quite easily. And we wanted the challenge of it. Also, it's great box office material potential because people really, really like it. And that makes me happy when I see people coming into the theatre and filling it up. That's a grand feeling. Steed says that he's adapted the play to fit into a South African context, setting it in a stylish private game lodge in the Kruger Park area, and he describes the set. This play is actually originally a French farce set outside Paris, and we have localised it and therefore made it more immediate. The whole premise of the play requires the house to be quite isolated and quite hard to get to and get away from. So I've spent a lot of time in Mpumalanga up near Hoodsbred, so I realise they do have an airstrip which could replace the train station in the French original, which has arrivals, but they're only limited arrivals every day. And, yeah, it just seemed to work really well for us. It is a beautifully constructed realistic set by Greg King, which features an open-plan living room and bar area of a very swish upmarket bush lodge with African masks on the walls, a great chandelier, thatched ceilings, right down to the little details of binoculars and sun hats on the wall and bird books on the coffee table. Actress Jana Ramos-Violanti plays the Afrikaans' chef, Suzette, whilst Robert Fridjon appropriately plays the character of Rob. They each describe their characters. Suzette, she's a crazy cook from Hootspreit, who comes along, she's thrown into this mix of classy people and in inverted commas, and she's fun and she's 
bolshy and she's a bit crazy and quirky. The part is written so fantastically as well. You know, she always says the right thing at the right time. She's always got the great entrance at exactly the right time, you know, and it's written like that. So it's very fun for an actress to play that. Hello, I'm Susie. Well, don't look so surprised. I don't know what you expected. Not at all. No, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not at all surprised. Oh. You got here quite quickly. Yeah, I got a look. <laughs> I'm Rob. Rob. Yeah, Bernie. Oh, yeah, you've afraid you save a weekend. Yeah. yeah I know about that. Uh, so we My are, character's uh, a hapless friend of the guy whose place this is, and I've been roped into the weekend to try and save his butt, unbeknown to me. I don't know what's going on. I think I'm just coming for a buddy weekend, but I find myself entangled this snare of girlfriends and deceit. And I think my character's not the sharpest character in the world. For both Free John and Ramos Buelanti, comedy farce is one of the most difficult theatre genres to perform. For me as an actress, I think comedy is one of the most difficult things that we as actors have to do. It's very fine-tuned, it's incredibly detailed, and there's a very fine line between over-the-top and what's funny and what's not. And then I think once you get in front of the audience and you start to feed off them what they like and what makes them laugh, you can start to find your groove even more, and that's what's really great about class and comedy, I think. But it's certainly the hardest form of theatre, without a doubt. It's harder than the classics, by a long shot. For me, the most satisfying, yet the most difficult part of Fast is getting those split-second timings absolutely, perfectly right every single night, night after night, week after week. And that's the challenge. It's a very, very different process. After the Joburg run, the production will be touring to Cape Town. Steve believes that there's space for commercial work by small independent theatre companies, and he says that he's seen a growing interest in independent companies from established producers over the years. I believe that in the arts there's enough space for everybody. There's space for commercial work and equally appropriate spaces for more serious cutting-edge or thought-provoking pieces. I do not believe in being prescriptive about theatre or art generally. It needs to speak for itself. In order to make these kind of um, tours successful or possible, any smaller production company needs to have affiliated partners in other cities. And Peter Turin has shown an immense interest in our company. And Daphne Kuhn is another person who we work with quite regularly, especially with our dramas. But without those established producing partners in big cities it would be almost impossible financially absolutely impossible for us to tour it on our own but hopefully in the future we'll be able to do it off our own bat Don't Dress for Dinner will be running at the Peter Turin Monte Cassino Theatre in Johannesburg until the 14th of April I'm Michelle Constant this feature was produced by Monique Stunder and you can email me on create at barca.co.za Create proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa Creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at baza.co.za. And, uh, of course, uh, let's uh, just uh, take two SMSs here. Drinking by youngsters below 18 is rampant. Age limit is welcome, but I doubt if it will have any impact. That's Nohakobe the Hamatala. And another one uh, saying that what happens when an MP is stopped and is over 0% alcohol limit, they will get away. Uh, with it. That, of course, in reaction to a proposal to raise South Africa's legal drinking age from 18 to 21 under serious consideration. That does it for your Monday edition of Midday Live, right, right here on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thanks to the team Mabubolokas, Tagazelot Lamin, and Nomadlizo Mandela, and technical producer today, Mark Prela. Senior producer is Tabiso Tserema, and executive producers Busisiwe Chane and uh, Aubrey Sechia. My name is Bongi Kwa. I'll be back for your Tuesday edition of Midday Live. Nancy Richards is up next with Otherwise. Enjoy the rest of your listening.